In the name of Jesus, Amen. Dear Saints, today is the first Sunday of the church year and the first Sunday of Advent. And after the service each year, I usually get a number of questions. Uh, they're kind of in the same genre. And it is something along the lines of, what is Jesus riding a donkey to Jerusalem have to do with Christmas? Uh, what, what's the point of it? Or why does the church year start with Matthew 21? Why are we beginning with that text? That is a text we hear on Palm Sunday. So why today? So instead of answering this question individually uh, through text or email to you guys, uh, I've decided to answer it here uh, to everyone at once. The, the reason we begin the church here with Jesus' triumphal entry is because this is the text that the church has used for the past 1,500 years. Uh, Christians in nearly every denomination throughout the world, in Spain, in Italy, France, Germany, England, and so on, uh, for about 15 centuries, have used this exact text, Matthew 21, uh, to begin Advent, to begin the church year. Uh, and, and even to this day, this text is read in churches throughout the world, in different languages even now. In fact, my family and I were just in Puerto Rico to visit uh, our missionary, the uh, Reverend Adam Lehman, and his family this week in Puerto Rico. And uh, the Christians in Ponce, Puerto Rico, heard this text today, this very morning. They heard the same exact text, uh, but in Spanish. Now, if you're paying attention, uh, I just told you the history of the text, and that it's still used today. But I haven't answered why we, we use this text. Um, why was this text chosen to begin with? What was the point? Well, it, it seems anachronistic. It seems out of sync with the church here. Uh, what, I, I would imagine that uh, the church would have chosen something like the prophecies about Jesus, that he would be born, or the promises uh, concerning his birth, or the annunciation of Jesus and work towards Christmas in this way in the year. Uh, but the church chose this text, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, not to present a chronology of Jesus' life, but to present a certain theology for yours. This is a theological statement, why this text is first and not another one. Uh, the theology that the church is teaching is this, that we begin each year with the end in mind. That we're starting this week remembering Christ's final week, his last week. Um, this is because Jesus' last week of his life, that is his humiliation, his nakedness, his rejection, his being mocked, his bitter suffering and death, is not simply a part of the church year. It's not a part of the Christian life. It's not an addendum to the church year is the very heart and center of it. It is everything. What happened on Holy Week is the reason we come here every week. If that week did not happen, then no other week matters. So at the start of the new year, we remind ourselves that all of Advent, all of Christmas, all of Epiphany, all of Lent, Easter, Pentecost, every fe feast and festival in the church here always comes from and leads to Christ and him crucified. That is the heart of it. 
If he did not spill his blood on the cross for us that week, that day, if he did not wipe away the sins of the world through his bitter suffering and death, then we would actually have no reason to go to church. It would be useless. And in fact, nothing would matter. Hymns wouldn't matter. The liturgy wouldn't matter. Going to church wouldn't matter. Christmas itself would mean absolutely nothing. It would mean nothing without his death and his resurrection. So what that God is man? So what that he takes on flesh and he has lungs and a, and a cardiovascular system and a brain and eyes and ears? So what? That's great. But you would still be left in your sins had he not poured out his life for you. So Christmas is meaningless if he did not come to die. If he did not die. The reason any of these things matter is because of his suffering and death. That is why anything matters. We begin the church with this text uh, to remind you and me and any, anybody else who cares to show up what the next 52 weeks are all about. That not one of these 365 days would have any sort of meaning whatsoever if God himself did not go to Jerusalem lowly, humbly, riding on a donkey to atone for the sins of the world, offering himself as the sacrifice for the sins of the world. This text records Jesus' final entrance into Jerusalem right before his long-awaited passion, long, before his long-awaited crucifixion under Pontius Pilate. So, yes, the church has used this for 1,500 years, and that's great, but that's not reason enough to use it. The reason we use it, the reason it was chosen in the first place, is because of this, is because of what it teaches. That's why it was used, and that's why we still use it, even now. Uh, a lot of times, um, I'll have people come up to me and say, look, uh, hey, pastor, uh, can you just loosen up a little bit on the liturgy, or the hymns, or the practice of the Lord's Supper, or things like this? Can, can you ease up on the preaching about sin, and death, and hell, and guilt, and repentance, and uh, uh, the change of our life, and things like this. Can, you just, can we just focus on something else for just one Sunday? Just one moment. No. <laughs> I can't. I won't. I refuse to. And it's not because I am stubborn or strict. It is because the Apostle Paul himself says this. He knows a lot of things. He knows many things. One of the most learned men in history. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, he says, But I've decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. And in 1 Corinthians 1, 23, he says, We preach Christ crucified. And so will I. We spend one hour a week in church. One. Just one hour. You have 168 in a week. One of those is here. You have 10,080 minutes in a week. And only about 15 of those minutes are spent hearing a sermon on any given Sunday. That adds up, 15 minutes of those 10,000, that adds up to about 0.1% of your week spent listening to a sermon preached in church. That is minuscule. That is microscopic. 
Meanwhile, throughout the week, the other 99.9% of your time is filled with a thousand other sermons, believe it or not. The world owns nearly every microphone and screen, and this world is constantly preaching to you nonstop, getting, trying to get, get your attention and put something in your head. And sermons that will tell you to rely upon yourself. Sermons and preaching that says you only have one life to live, uh, that life is short, so do what makes you happy. Who cares? Don't be bogged down. Who cares about the Ten Commandments? Who cares about what God has said? Just do what you want. This life is short. Or something like, never change. You are perfect as you are. You see movies and music and shows and books that mock God. They mock Christians. They mock the church. You have friends and family who are preaching into your hearts different ideas and worldviews. They encourage you to do things like to leave your spouse, uh, to accept sin, to be proud of your sin, to say it's part of your identity and who you are, to care about yourself first and foremost, that that's the chief thing, self-love, to skip church, to not take it seriously, things like this. On top of that, you have your own sinful heart, which is in each one of us, preaching to you a sermon every day and night. And your heart only knows two sermons. It's one of two that it's preaching to you. Your heart heart preaches a sermon that either accuses you of your sin and guilt and tells you, look, your wickedness, your sin, your guilt is far too great for God to forgive. And God is disappointed with you and he is angry with you. Or your heart will preach to you a sermon that excuses you of your sins. It'll excuse your guilt, telling you to think nothing of it. Well, because God doesn't really care about sin. It's not that big of a deal. He just accepts you the way you are. He accepts your sin. And so you continue sinning. You continue in the the deeds that you were rescued from. And you run back to those like a dog returning to its own vomit. Um, This is constantly going on. You're being bombarded with these thoughts and ideas and, and these different sermons throughout the week. 99.9% of your time is hearing these things. So can we afford to loosen things up a bit in church? No. In fact, we don't have time for it. We simply don't. You're hearing uh, these things the majority of of your time, but I only have 0.1% of your time to preach to you one sermon, and I have one shot each week to get it to you right. And it's simply repent. Repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and put your trust and hope in Christ who redeems you. Reject your sin. Despair of yourself, but not of the Lord. Um, I I know it's tempting to kind of hear this and then yawn at it or gloss it over. Uh, Especially when we're talking about Christ and him crucified here. But we don't have time for it. Because the days are coming when life is going to leave your body. When you're going to want to come to church, but you won't be able to. You're going to want to come to a church and there won't be one there for you. You will long to sing good hymns about Jesus again. To hear a sermon about Christ and him crucified for you, how much he loves you and all he gave for you. But you won't be able to because your body will fail you. Your days here together with everyone are numbered. 
Your days in church are numbered. I don't know how many other Sundays you have here. How many more Advents you'll see? How many more Christmases you have? So you need to treasure this word in your heart first and foremost, before all things, above all things. You need to learn that Christ is your dear King who comes to you to take away your sins on the cross, as the prophets foretold long ago. Not your works, not one of your good works, not one of your intentions or motivation, not the disposition or the purity of your own heart, not your reputation, not your history, not, none of these things. None of these things are your righteousness. Christ is your righteousness. He's all of your righteousness and only your righteousness. Now, I I know you've heard me say all these things before. And the reason I do it is because uh, what I've been alluding to this whole time is that one of these days you're going to find yourself in the hospital. You're going to find yourself at home um, at the hour of death. And I may not be there for all of you. Uh, For a good number of you, I will be. I'll be standing there when you die in those final moments. God grant it. And I want this central doctrine, this proclamation, this chief article and teaching of Christ and him crucified to be so clear in your minds, so often repeated into your ears that in the midst of all of the commotion Uh, of the doctors and the families gathered around there, the sound of the breathing machines, the feeding tubes, the beeping and the sirens, all these sort of things, in the midst of all of the regrets and sin and guilt that is flooding to your mind and heart, all of your emotions that are drowning you in that moment, that I, in the midst of all that, could simply lean down and whisper into your ear and say, remember, Christ is your righteousness. And you would know exactly what that means. And you would remember all of these things. You would remember all of this theology, all these hymns would come flooding back to your mind. All these sermons, all the liturgy would come back to your heart. And you'd remember how each and every Sunday of your life you heard a sermon that God did not leave you. That he would never leave you nor forsake you. That he took on flesh to save you. That he lived a perfect life for you. He suffered and died for you. That he took away all of your sin and guilt. That through faith in him, confidence, reliance upon him, you have salvation. And in that moment, you'd remember your baptism, how it washed away your sins. You'd remember the Lord's Supper, how he gave you himself, his body and his blood to give you the forgiveness of sins. You'd remember that Christ is your righteousness and all of your doubts, your fears, your anxieties, your worries in that moment of death would vanish all because the preaching of the cross would be held before your closing eyes. And it would give you peace that the world can't give you. Dear saints, Christ is your righteousness. He is your salvation. He is your king who comes to you. He leaves his throne in heaven to take the lowest place on earth, to become the chief sinner there on the cross taking your place, forgiving your sins. I don't preach Christ crucified each week and Sunday to you because I just want you to remember it. I preach it every Sunday because I don't want you ever to forget it. I want you never to forget for a moment everything that Jesus did to save you. All he did to redeem you. 
everything he went through, every bloody drop of sweat that came off of his brow to make you his own. He not only loved you enough to create you, he loved you more to redeem you and to save you forever. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.